0: Jesus is teaching us to pray. He has taught us that we can pray to the king of the universe and call him our father. He has taught us to pray to our father with a childlike reverence and trust. He has taught us to pray that father's name be hallowed as his kingdom comes and that his kingdom may come more and more as his will is done. The Lord Jesus has taught us to ask our Father for everything that we need, day by day, to carry out our office and calling in his kingdom, faithfully and willingly. And now we get to the fifth petition. And in teaching us the fifth petition, the Lord Jesus gives us a good dose of reality. You see, the Lord Jesus knows us. He knows how quick we are to take the name which we carry and do or say things which bring shame, not glory upon that name. Jesus knows how easy it is for us to to mess up so badly in our lives that instead of advancing the kingdom, we set its progress back, or at least we seem to. And Jesus knows how inclined we are to think that God's will is okay as long as it is convenient for us, as long as we agree with it, and that otherwise we're best off doing what we think is good. And Jesus knows how liable we are to use God's good gifts, the spiritual and the material gifts, to promote our will, not his, to further our kingdom, not his, and to bring us glory, not him. And so Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. Now, the Bible uses a wide-ranging vocabulary, literally literally dozens of terms to describe sin. To give some examples, it speaks of sin as missing the mark, as transgressing set limits, as, as veering off the path. And in the Lord's Prayer, sin is described as indebtedness. When you're owing money, you're in debt. When we have sinned against God, there is an account which needs to be settled. The bill has to be paid. Satisfaction has to be made because we have offended God, and that has to be set right. Now, to whom is the Lord Jesus teaching this prayer? He's teaching this prayer to believers. This is a prayer for the saints of the kingdom of God. And one of the vital elements in any prayer uttered by the citizens of God's kingdom is the petition for forgiveness. Now, Jesus is under no illusions that the kingdom saints will be free from sin in this life. Perhaps you've read people that hold to this view. Perhaps you've met people that hold to the view that Christians can actually be without sin. And if you read that idea, or if you speak to people that, hold to that idea, you ought to know that this is not what the Scripture teaches at all. If you turn your Bible to 1 John chapter 1, 1 John 1 verse 8, the Scripture says this, if we say we have no sin, now John's writing to the church here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If somebody says I I, I have no sin, I I can be a perfect Christian. Well, then that person is is lying to themselves and does not have the truth. And look at verse 10 now, because it gets worse. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, if we claim perfectionism that the Christian can be without sin in this life, we're saying God's a liar. In other words, we're saying God is the devil. It's blasphemy. His truth is definitely not in us. Well, look at what verse 9 says. If we confess our sins, the sins that every one of us has, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So fundamental to the Christian life and basic to Christian prayer is a deep-seated longing and plea for forgiveness. A Christian knows that he has been set free from the dominion of Satan. He knows that he is no longer a slave of sin. She knows that she no longer loves sin but hates it. She knows full well from the gospel and from the sacraments that God has washed away all of her sin and all of her iniquity. The Christian knows that being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's because we know these things. It's because we know the power of the gospel and the power of salvation that we recoil with horror at how much sin still shows up in our lives. We see the evil which still clings to us. We, we see the outright transgressions in our lives and, and we realize that in some measure we are in and of ourselves, we are wretched sinners and that we need to cry out to God for forgiveness. Now, as the catechism says those words on page 563, wretched sinners, perhaps they make you feel uncomfortable. There, There are those who would refute these words of the catechism. We're not sinners. Stop talking about sin all the time. We are saints, they say. We We're more than conquerors. Enough of this old-fashioned, depressing language. We are children of God, children of light, saints washed in the blood of Jesus. And let's hear more talk about victory and joy. Enough of this depressing stuff about sin and misery. That's all in the past. It may be in the depths of your heart you find yourself agreeing. I have a hard time seeing myself as a wretched sinner. That's a bit rich, really. I mean, sure, I'm not perfect, but I'm hardly a wretched sinner. Brothers and sisters, all those wonderful, glorious gospel truths about who we are in Christ are true, and we delight in them, and we rejoice in them, and we hold on to them, and we embrace them in faith. The fact of the matter is, is that the more that we grow in Christ, the more sin bothers us because we're not perfect. And there are sins which are clinging to us. There's The the wretched sinner part of us is that old nature which still loves sin. It's, It's the way we are by nature. It's the old man. It's the way we are in ourselves, outside of Christ. It's the part of us that still needs to be mortified, needs to be put to death. And so the more we realize who we are in Christ, the more we long to be rid of those last remnants of the old man, the old us. It's like a room that needs cleaning. If, if the room just has a little candle on the table, it will look quite cozy and romantic. A chair, Two chairs, a table, a candle. But if you turn the light up, then you start seeing the dirt and you see that what needs to be cleaned. And the brighter the light gets, the more you see the dirt. And that's a little bit what happens as we grow in Christ. The more we know who we are in him, the more foul and disgusting the remnants of sin are to us. And so sin is a jarring element in our relationship with God. We know that God cannot dwell with sin. He, he consumes it with the fire of his anger. Sin sets God against us and us against God. Sin attacks the relationship, and it has to be dealt with. can't just be ignored or pretended away. Now, in the fourth petition, we just asked God for our daily bread. But in the fifth petition, Jesus reminds us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How can we serve with joy in his kingdom if we have no peace with God? How can we serve faithfully and willingly in our office and calling in the kingdom if the king's anger is burning against us, if things are not right between us and God? You see, we know what sin does to relationships. If you've offended your spouse, if something's not right between you, then you can't just go on pretending everything's okay. You can't just go on with the business of administering the household and raising the family. Things have to be set right. We've got to talk. Because the offense sits there like a poison, destroying the relationship and holding back the intimacy. And sometimes we're quite the cowards when we're dealing with sin. We're so afraid of those words, forgive me. And so we find all kinds of ways to get around it. We think that doing something nice is a substitute for setting things right. And so a husband might buy his wife flowers or a new dress when really all she is aching to hear from him are the words, forgive me. I have wronged you. Let's make things right between us. And sometimes we treat God that way too. We try to buy God off by doing something good to make up for the area in which we let God down. Have you ever done that? Where you know you've committed a sin, you know you're not right with God. And so you try to do something extra good. Spend some more time in Bible reading, put some more money in the offering, just try to make things up with god lord jesus teaches us in the lord's prayer that there's only one deal one way to deal with sin and that is confession jesus teaches us to recognize our sin and to cry out to god oh god i owe you i am indebted to you but don't send me the bill don't require the payment which i cannot make but demand it from christ You understand the terrible power of the words that Jesus is teaching us to pray. Sin demands payment. Sin must be dealt with. And sin can only be paid for. Sin can only be dealt with through the shedding of blood. The wages of sin is death. That's the only payment possible. Someone has to die an agonizing death crushed by the burden of God's eternal heart burning anger against sin. That's what it costs. That's what it takes. You know, we can be so stupidly complacent as we pray these familiar words, forgive us our debts. We're so used to praying it that we really don't think it's a big deal. We string along our sentences, we come rushing towards the end of our prayer, and then we, oh yes, before we forget, we pray all this in the forgiveness of our sins, amen. Just throw it in there at the end. But do we realize what we're saying? Do we realize to our horror that even the slightest, the smallest sin that we have committed today would be enough to plunge the entire creation into the corruption and decay of the fall? that even the most insignificant transgression in the past hours would require an eternity of suffering in hell in order to pay for it. Those truths are too much for us to process, but they're what the scripture teaches. And as Jesus teaches his disciples to pray the fifth petition, he knows what it will cost. He knows that he is signing his own death warrant for he is teaching us to pray, oh God, we deserve to be crushed by your anger. Our sins merit eternal death, an eternity of hellish torment and separation from God, but God, don't send us the bill. Don't count our sins against us. Send the bill to Jesus. Let him pay for my transgressions let him be crushed for my iniquities let him taste the bitterness of eternal death and hellish agony which my sins deserve do you want to put more clearly when we pray forgive us our debts then in effect we are praying god kill jesus kill Jesus, kill him, not me. Pour out his blood, not mine. God, deal with my sins by shedding the blood of your own beloved son. Well, if Jesus himself did not teach us to pray this, who would ever dare ask God for such a thing? For the sake of Christ's blood, Do not impute to us wretched sinners. In other words, because of the cross, because of Good Friday. You see, in our prayer for forgiveness, we go back to the source, to the fount of our justification. God, let things be made right between us. Let us have peace with you. Take the blood of your son, Jesus, and scrub from our lives anything and everything which sets you against us and us against you. Now, who can pray this prayer and what kind of an answer can we expect? Well, this prayer, as we said already, this prayer is for kingdom citizens. It's a remarkable privilege. We have the right to walk up to God and to ask Him to settle our accounts. No matter how big they are, there's no credit limit. No matter how much we're in the hole. We can walk up to our Father. We can lisp a simple prayer like little children, and we can have a world, a lifetime of wrongdoing just wiped away. You see, kingdom citizens have the mark of the kingdom. It's right there on your forehead. Children, you know what you have, right? On your head, on your forehead. You've got that mark of your baptism. And when you pray, forgive us our debts, then the answer to that prayer is marked right here on your forehead because your baptism is telling you at every moment, God is speaking to you through your baptism and he is telling you, I have forgiven you. I have washed you in the blood of my son and my dear child, you can come back anytime you want, 24 hours a day. And you can say to me, forgive me my sins, and I will tell you, yes, they are forgiven. Now, do you wonder? Do you wonder if God forgives you? Do you wonder if it's possible that he could forgive even this sin? Is is something that you have done or left undone, is something unsettling you? Well, no, this is how it works, brothers and sisters. Forgive us our debts, I have washed you. Even before we ask, the answer is there. There is forgiveness there for the asking. The blood of Jesus will never run out. There is an inexhaustible supply of forgiveness. There's no waiting period. There's no cool-off period. You ask and you receive. Look at Psalm 32 and see how it works. Psalm 32, 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there was no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Your hand, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. When sin is not confessed, it eats away, it destroys us from the inside. But look at verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Confession, forgiveness. It's immediate. It's absolute. That is the gospel. And if that were not enough, God gives us in the Holy Supper, we just celebrated it God gives us in the Holy Supper the sacrament of the fourth and the fifth petitions. We ask God for our daily bread, and at the table of the Lord, he feeds us with bread from heaven. We ask God to forgive our debts. Well, at the table of the the Lord, the wine speaks of the blood of Christ poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The debt has been paid. And so the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray is not a shot in the dark But it's something we can pray with complete, absolute confidence, total certainty. We can pray for peace with God through the blood of the cross. We can bring any sin to him at any time. And we can know the answer. I forgive you. You are forgiven for the sake of the blood of God. Christ. And because it's such a a sure thing, it's so certain, it's so rock solid, the next thing that the Lord Jesus adds is a little bit shocking. What does he add? He says, well, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And we, we think, well, what's going on here? What is Jesus saying? Forgive us, our debts as we have also forgiven. It sounds like God is, is forgiving us dependent on what we do or don't do. It doesn't sound very reformed, does it? That it depends on what we do. Well, the Lord Jesus probably knew how hard this would be for us to receive, so he goes out of his way to make his point. We read, Matthew chapter 6. And you notice that after the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter 6, there's a little bit of extra explanation in verse 14, verse 15. A little bit of extra explanation about this specific petition. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the Lord Jesus... Is basically saying, well, just in case you didn't get it the first time, when I said forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, let me make it absolutely clear for you, there is no forgiveness for you if there is no forgiveness from you. Well, that's rather startling, isn't it? Now, we should note a few things here. Number one, God is not saying this to people in general. He's not saying this to unredeemed sinners. He doesn't offer salvation based on the inherent goodness of the sinner. He's not speaking to people who are unconverted, outside of Christ, lost in their sins. He's not saying to them, well, you do something first, then I'll do something for you. No, God is speaking to his children. God is speaking to kingdom citizens, people who know his grace. People who live in the power of his grace. And what he is saying is this. Peace with me doesn't come by itself. Peace with me and peace with your fellow man belong together. If you cannot love your your brother whom you see, how can you love God whom you have not seen? That's what John says in his epistle. And the Bible makes this clear. Remember the fall, the broken relationship with God meant consequences for broken relationships with other human beings. That's what happened necessarily. And so redemption does the opposite. When peace is restored with God, then it is also restored with our fellow man. We talked about that this morning. You can't love God and hate your brother. That's an impossibility. So there's this inexhaustible fountain of forgiving love, which flows from God through Christ to us. And it is the character of forgiving love that it needs to keep flowing. It needs to fill our hearts and lives and overflow from us to those around us. It's like water. It's glorious. It's it? cascades down the mountains, and as the glaciers melt and fill the rivers and the streams, and it just goes tumbling down towards the lakes and through the river system to eventually the oceans. But what happens when, when, when it doesn't flow, when it's stopped, then it becomes stagnant, and the water becomes gross? What happens when we stop the flow of love? When we harbor an unforgiving spirit, when we when we harbor resentment instead of grace, hatred instead of love. That doesn't just mess up our relationship with our neighbor, but it messes up our relationship with God. If we stop the flow from us, then this stops the flow to us. And you don't have to have a PhD in fluid mechanics to realize that, right? If if it's not flowing from you, if it's stopped, then it's going to stop flowing to you as well. So what's what's going on when we harbor an unforgiving spirit? Well, what's going on is that we have a twisted idea of God's grace. We're basically saying, you know, God's grace is good for me, but it's not good for other people. I need, I deserve it, but other people know. So what is actually happening there is a loss of all sense of proportion. God can forgive me. God should forgive me. God must forgive me. But I, I, I cannot forgive. The puny and insignificant offense committed against me, this puny and insignificant sinner, is unspeakably more serious than the world of transgression that I have committed against the most high majesty and holiness of God. God can forgive me. That's his job. But I, on the other hand, I don't go around forgiving people. It's not what I do. And when we refuse to forgive others, we make light of sin and guilt. We make light of God's holiness. We set ourselves up as being holier, more righteous than God himself. And we show, like the man in that parable, that we have just no idea of how much we ourselves have been forgiven. You remember that parable, the the man was forgiven a a huge debt, and then he goes off and shakes his fellow servant and sends his fellow servant to jail for a tiny little amount that is owing. And that's often us. How incredibly small-minded we can be, and how our small-mindedness can choke the flow of God's forgiving love, our resentment, Works away like a poison. It corrodes our hearts and lives and relationships. Sometimes it's, it's just a word somebody said years ago. And they've long forgotten, but we haven't forgotten. It's there, stored up. We're keeping a record of wrongs, it's eating away at us inside. Every time we see that person, we're like, I know what you did, I know what you said, and I will never forgive it. And like rust and corrosion in the water pipes, our resentment, our unforgiving spirit, it chokes the life-giving flow of God's forgiving love to us and through us. We, we won't let it flow through us to others. And as a result, there are just a few drips of God's grace in our own parched and dry and pathetic lives. Now, what the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray here is a very dangerous petition. He is teaching us to ask God to give us grace in the measure that we pass it on. To give us forgiveness in the measure that we grant forgiveness. That's scary. And that drives us to prayer, brothers and sisters. We need to pray. We need help here. Lord God, Father, show us your grace. Let us Not only know your love for ourselves, but show your love through us to others. Oh God, rip out of my heart and my life every petty resentment, every miserably kept record of wrongs, every corroding and ungracious thing which is clogging the flow of your forgiving love. Oh God, let your love, your grace, your forgiveness flow. Let me be fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive my neighbor let me love to forgive my neighbor let my speech my thoughts my life be marked by gracious forgiving love now when we pray this prayer forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors we are asking God not only to let us live in peace with him but we're asking that we be at peace with one another And we heard it this morning again. That means that whatever is outstanding between us needs to be dealt with. Forgiving is not the same thing as pretending that something didn't happen. Forgiveness involves dealing with the problem and setting it right. It involves confession, owning up to sin, and repentance, turning away from sin. And the process is laid out there in Matthew chapter 18. The process is not, well, I'm going to get you because you did something to me. I'm going I'm to get you disciplined by the church. No, it's a process which seeks restoration. It's a process which says, you know what, something's not right between us. So let's settle it. Let's find peace in the blood of the cross. Now, it's important that we realize what we confess and what the scripture teaches, that the evidence of God's grace in us is that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive our neighbor. That's what God is looking for in us. But when somebody has sinned against us and does not own up to that sin, when they do not repent from their sin, when they do not ask for forgiveness, what God requires of us is exactly what we confess here, that we are fully determined wholeheartedly to forgive. We want to forgive. We're ready to forgive. We're longing to have this dealt with. But we don't need to pretend that everything's okay as long as the sinner, the one who has sinned against us, refuses to recognize their sin. If that's the situation, then they're the ones blocking the flow of grace, and our prayers are not hindered. And so we need to pray, brothers and sisters. We need to pray to the Lord Jesus that as we sit at his table each time again, that he would grant us peace with one another, that we might fully enjoy peace with him. We need to pray to God, oh God, help us to take stock of all the hard, calloused and scarred areas of my heart all those wrongs I've stored up and recorded, all those resentments which I am harboring. And by your grace, O God, cleanse them from my heart and from my life. Cleanse these miserable symbols of my ungracious and unforgiving spirit. And give me the grace, O Lord, and the courage to deal with sin, to settle what is outstanding, to set right that which is wrong. And time and time again, In the Word and in the sacrament, the Prince of Peace calls us to celebrate his Supper of Forgiveness so that we can know what true peace and true forgiveness are. Let us be peacemakers who, sowing in peace, raise a harvest of righteousness. It's a hard thing, but we know it is possible, O Lord, because you have taught us to ask for it. We know it is possible, O Heavenly Father, because the blood of your Son makes us right with you and with one another. And so, O Holy Spirit, open the floodgates of your forgiving love and let, us, let it carry us along like a flood. Let it fill our lives. Let it abundantly overflow our hearts and lives to touch those around us with your forgiving love. Yes, Lord, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Grant us peace with you and peace with one another for the sake of the precious blood of Christ our Lord. Amen.